Welcome to the Cold Brew Podcast. It is July 7th. I'm Dave Gasper, joined as always by Matt Carroll. We're the editors at ReviewingBrew.com and of course your lovely entertaining hosts here on the Cold Brew Podcast. Matt, it's a Brewers off day here on Thursday morning as we're recording this. The Brewers just finished a series against the Cubs and after day one on the 4th of July, I was feeling great. You know, you have the walk-off win, uh, the theatrics there, and and all the fun. And I was at the game, and it was a great time. And then the last two days kind of kind of put a damper on that whole thing. Yeah, well, I mean, it certainly doesn't help when the Brewers decide to do that things where they just stop scoring again. Yeah, they had. Uh, one whole run in the game yesterday that I was at. They had three whole runs in uh, Tuesday's game. Um, as I've always said, <clears throat> four runs or more, you're generally going to be okay with this team, uh, especially with their pitching staff, and especially now that they've gotten you know, most of that pitching staff back to healthy. But uh, four runs over two days, not generally going to go very well for you, and that is exactly what we saw what I got to see in person yesterday. And, oh, let me tell you, it just never gets fun watching Cubs fans celebrate on your turf. No, no, it is not. And, you know, when I was there on uh, on Monday for the 4th of July game, you know, they, they didn't have much offense going there either. Um, I mean, they were down one nothing. It was a home run that Lauer gave up to Velasquez. And then, you know, okay, like we finally get a run a bit later to tie it up. And then and inside the Parker uh, to the left center field gap off that little angled wall that Robin Yount created, uh, the, that got past Jonathan Davis. I thought that they got Suzuki on the swipe tag going by, then he was safe, and, you know, see the replay, it's like, oh, okay, missed him, but oh, well. And then it's like, okay, now you're down by one again, and uh, – What's going to happen? It's like, okay, base is loaded for Christian Yelich. Like, oh, man, this, this is going to be great. If this were 2019, I'd be thrilled. Uh, but still a little more nervous uh, this time around. Uh, but he drew the walk, and we're able to tie it, and then some awful strike calls to Willie Adams. Oh, Just geez. awful. Yeah. The worst. And he ends up striking out, and that ends the inning. I'm like, yeah. God, here we go again. But at least they tied it. And then we go to extras and big bad Brad Boxberger <laughs> comes up huge in the top of the tenth. Oh man, he gave up the base hit. And I thought, oh man, they're coming around to score. But no, they held the runner at, at third. And that was their mistake because big bad Brad did not let that runner score. And he came through with some clutch pitches against the heart of the Cubs order in that 10th inning. Yeah, those two changeups that he dropped in uh, that second to last batter, because it was 3-1 at that point. It's close to a base. I was nervous. Happening, you know, to balance out the one that happened to uh, Yelich. And then he drops those two changeups to finish that at bat. And then strikes out the final batter as well just oh that was that was masterful and then and cool as a cucumber yes it, yeah and then just walks off just no emotion like no fist pump no muttered words to himself nothing just it's no trevor go. kelly excitement there if that were trevor it, kelly you'd yeah. have, no. have a full ass party right zero buckets of sassy in this situation <laughs> um and yeah just just walks his way Back, just took care of his business, just walked his way back to the yeah, no big deal. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. But then you felt at that point, like, okay, like, is this going to be a tide turning event a little bit? And then, uh, and then the bottom of the 10th happens. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm like, okay, we got a guy on, we got Rowdy Tellez coming up. This is going to be great. Super excited. Intentional walk. Yeah. I get it. I hate it. You know, because I'd like to see Rowdy swing away there, but uh, whatever, fine. Walk him and face Victor Caratini with his 0 for 4 4K golden sombrero on the day. That's a matchup I don't blame them for taking. 
And yet, Victor Caratini redeems mm. himself. I, I put out there on Twitter right before, I'm like, Victor, I need you to redeem yourself from your golden sombrero today. Please. Like, just something to redeem yourself. And sure enough, oh. he redeems himself. You pull out the gift from, uh, from Dumb and Dumber. <laughs> totally redeem yourself. Because he did. And I, I didn't know if that was going to be going out. I thought I had a chance. I was carrying pretty well. But I knew it was, at the very least, going to be uh, over the head of whoever was in center for the Cubs. Yeah, I thought I, – I mean, that ends up scoring anyway because that uh, center fielder was playing super shallow. Um, that hits the ground, runner scores from second. Like, it's not even a question. But still, home runs are cooler. So, as you're watching that, I didn't think that was going to go out. I thought that was going to hit the top of the wall or something like that. And then just, boop, right over the top, right over the top. Three-run homer, Caratini against his old team, gets to walk it off. Um, just, and that's, that's a, one of the just coolest things about ba- not just baseball, but sports in general is that like, you can have a player who is scuffling, whether it's, you know, met something in his head mentally, or, you know, just things are not going their way for whatever reason. And then just out of nowhere, just they save the day. Like it's just, it's such a cool thing to watch. And, you know, for a guy like Caratini, who, you know, ends up having to switch teams right before the season starts, ends up having to learn a completely new pitching staff. Can't be an easy situation for him, but he's done well um, offensively. You you look at a lot of his numbers and he's actually one of the top performers on the team Um, comes in and does that. Like ends up getting to be a hero. That's so cool. Yeah. It was a, it was a big moment for him. And a big moment for everyone in that crowd. I, I love seeing the Cubs fans all sad and depressed after that. It was it was glorious. It was great. Get them all to shut up because they were all getting super excited and loud there, especially during the Suzuki home run. Oh, my God. That was annoying. But Caratini comes back. And, yeah, you know, you see like a bunch of other people. Like I saw a bunch on Twitter like after that. It's like no matter what's going on, no matter when you're in a slump or, or whatever, you're just having a bad day. You could be having the worst day at the plate. You could have a golden sombrero. Next at bat's an opportunity. It's an opportunity yeah. to break out of it, an opportunity to do something productive and for, for your team and score some runs. And he was able to do that. And that was fantastic. And then the Brewers lost the next two days. Yeah. Um, you know, Jason Alexander on the mound. It's like, okay, you know, we'll, we'll kind of see what happens. Things are starting to even out for Jason Alexander. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, his first few starts, he was giving up a lot of hits, had a lot of traffic on the bases, but he wasn't letting those runs score. And now I think that's starting to catch up with him. Yeah. Yeah. Which is kind of what we all expected that it was so weird to see such a high whip walks, hits per innings pitch and a low ERA like that, that doesn't, that doesn't work, but yeah, he was getting double plays. He was getting, you know, flyouts. He was getting just whatever needed to happen um, to somehow Houdini himself out of some innings. But yeah, you're right. Like now players are starting, you know, they've seen him a few times. Um, they're starting to figure him out. Um, he, he's starting to give up, you know, a home run here and there as well. He, he's given up about one a game. I feel like his last few starts and relief appearances honestly um it's yeah he just he gives up too much it, i think it would be a fine idea at some point once you know the brewers get even more pitchers back to you know have them go back down but have them continue being a starter because you never know when you're going to need to call on those guys and just kind of get back into the swing of things maybe you know have uh, the minor league coaches you know work with him and you know what can he do to refine that sinker even a little bit more and really help that be his ultimate weapon kind of in an Adrian Hauser type way. Cause that's one of the things we were, you know, looking forward to with him is he's got a sinker and he induces a lot of ground balls. And that was very evident in his first start. Um, but it just hasn't necessarily balanced out that same way the rest of the way. So, um, you know, have him keep kind of building that up and you, you know, you never know with this guy. Yeah. I mean, he, they tried him in the bullpen a couple of times, you know, when uh, some of the rotation guys came back. It's like, okay, let's see how it goes. 
but he's not really a, a bullpen type of guy with his stuff. I mean, with how long it takes him to kind of lock it in, you know, he's going to have a lot of traffic on the base paths and those shorter stints can really kind of make it uh, tougher for him in those kinds of situations. So, you know, I know we thought about it initially when he was doing really well. It's like, okay, like once he's like, once these guys are back, uh, he should stick around and he can be in that bullpen, but that may not be the the role for him. I know the Brewers want to do that with Aaron Ashby, but first you need Hauser and Peralta back, and they're not going to be back for uh, a while still. So Ashby is going to be in that rotation going forward. And, yeah, maybe they have to, you know, get someone else for, for uh, the big league rotation spot. They need some help. Maybe call upon Ethan Small. Maybe my buddy Caleb Bosley. Mm-hmm. Maybe they, maybe they could call him up. He's doing extremely well, you know. Just yeah. just saying, just saying. Um, but yeah, it's you know Alexander. It's it's definitely evening out for him. Um, that yeah, that WHIP and ERA combo is completely unsustainable, and it's it's catching up. Well, I mean, it also didn't help that they played horrible defense behind him, like no. the entire game. Like mm-hmm. Urias made bad throws. Adamas made bad throws. Wong struggled like that. The whole defense that game was just bad. Yeah. Yeah. Adamas sailed a couple and that second one was way not even close. And it takes a lot to sail over to Les's head. Like he's got, he's tall and he's got some reach. Yeah. Uh, That that reminds me of of high school when I played first base, I'd have infielders sail it over my head. (laughs) I'm just like, guys, I am the tallest dude you are going to find at first base in this entire league. How are you sailing it over my head? Yeah. Yeah, that's going to that, – that, you've got quite a big uh, uh, radius. Quite a big reach. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's actually got to that, – that's uh, – It's one thing if you I'm throw it low and I got to pick it. Like, I understand that, but, like – Sailing it over my head that, like, if if when I'm jumping and fully extended that I can't reach it, like, come on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I will say, though, uh, during that uh, Jason Alexander start, we did get another Mike Brasso a relief appearance. I hear that his <laughs> ERA is now down to, like, career ERA is down to, like, 275 or something. 245, I believe it is. 245, is that what it is? Yeah. Like, I, I remember... Hernan Perez um, had looked generally pretty decent in his relief appearances. And it, there was always the fun little quirk that like, he's never actually given up a run or, or whatever. And then, you know, things kind of obviously balanced out as they do right. for position player pitching. Um, but Mike Brasso now he's, uh, he's, he's looking, those numbers looking halfway decent up there. No strikeouts, but you know, what you yeah. take, get there. you're not expecting but, much for strikeouts for him. It was nice at, at the very least to, for the most part, reset the bullpen that day. Cause uh, sometimes when you have one of those games where, you know, it starts to edge towards a blowout, you know, if you can only manage to use a couple of your pitchers in that game and just have a couple of the guys take one for the team um, it at the very least sets the team up going forward. It's not pretty to watch in the moment, obviously, but it's one of those things you kind of just have to do for the future, especially in the middle of a 162 game season. Every now and then in a game, you have to, you know, make some decisions for the greater good, essentially. So it was at the very least nice to see that they were able to do that a little bit. Yeah. They, although they weren't able to fully uh, reset the bullpen, you know, because of the workload for the top guys, Boxberger and Williams and Hader. Mm-hmm. You know, as we went into a Wednesday in a close game, those guys are still kind of unavailable. At least Williams and uh, Williams was unavailable and uh, Boxberger was unavailable. And Josh Hader comes in in a tie game in the ninth. And it's like, hey, these other guys were down. Josh Hader comes in and uh, Hader ends up uh, giving up the lead or, or um, yeah, allowing the Cubs to take the lead in tie game. And there were some hot takes on mm. Twitter, some yep. very hot takes about Craig Council and the management of the bullpen and which guys were available and which guys weren't. Um, but 
I will say this, Matt. Craig Council is one of the better managers of a bullpen in Major <laughs> League Baseball. And that is pretty much an indisputable fact. Yeah. Uh, I. <laughs> it's uh, all the comments contrary to that are people who think they could actually do the job better. But I'm sure um, if they did, we would have uh, DFA Yelich. We would have probably, you know, uh, we would have DFA Burns back in 2019. Yep, yep, exactly. We would have got definitely would have gotten rid of him. Um, hate, hell, well, Hater would have been traded two years ago for sure. Yep. Um, it, yeah, it, it, let's. We've been over this so many times, and I can't believe we you know, have to keep even mentioning it, but. Craig Council is one of the best managers in the league, and he definitely knows how to run his pitching staff. I don't know what you were expecting last night. If they had decided not to go with Hader and rolled out John Del Gustave in the ninth, for example, Brewers Twitter would have lost it. They would have absolutely lost their minds. Why would you not go with Hader? So there was clearly, for some people, no correct answer last night. I, I was surprised to see that Williams wasn't available considering no one ended up having to pitch on uh, Tuesday, but he was unavailable. If he says he's unavailable, he's unavailable. Um, and in doing that, that again, keeps him healthy for the entire rest of the year for the Brewers. Clearly how they have managed his workload so far this year has been successful because he's on the verge of an all-star appearance right now. So you're going to point to this one game and say that yeah, council doesn't man- know how to manage a bullpen. Are you kidding me? Um, yeah. And then, like I said, like I get, it's a tight game. I get that Hader is more successful when he's in for an actual save situation. It is kind of a just odd thing that uh, some players go through mentally that, you know, they are so much more effective in safe situations, but Hader is not the first player to fall into that category. But again, what was your other option? Um, Boxberger had already pitched. He had given up that uh, the tying run in the eighth. Got had to end up coming in for him. So you're down two of your relievers already. Like, would you really have rather had Hobie Milner come in maybe? Like, yes, Milner's been good. But you, in that situation, in the bottom of the ninth, you want the best pitcher on your team on the mound. And like, again, it's a different situation, but... Sorry, that was the best move. It's the move I would have yeah. made. And if Hader doesn't give up a run, no one complains. Exactly. And, and that's, that's the thing, too. I mean, we, we've gone through this so many times over, over the years with Hader now as the closer. I mean, when, like, over the past few days, you know, when Hader comes in, it's it's been a non-safe situation, and then he gives up a run. Everyone's like, oh, my God, he's terrible in non-safe situations. Why does why does Craig keep bringing him in in tie games? Why does he keep on bringing him in for, for these kinds of things? But yet prior to this week, anytime it was a tie game and Craig Council didn't bring in Josh Hader, exactly. I, I saw all the complaints of, oh, my God, why isn't he bringing in Hader? It, it, like, it's a tie game. What, just because it's not a safe situation? What, he can't do that? Like, come on. Like, we need to have our top guy out here, not John Del Gustave. We don't want him. We want Josh Hader. We want our best guy. Put him out there in the tie game. So you get those complaints, and then Craig Council puts him in. It's like, why are you putting him in a tie game? You, like, stop yeah <laughs> it's just oh, don't it's just like wait a minute i thought i thought we were just complaining that he didn't come in into tie games enough yeah oh and don't forget the uh craig council never works him more than an inning anymore why doesn't he ever do that why wouldn't he do that at the very least in this situation well you just answered your own question he never does that and in doing so again he has made josh hitter into one of the most effective if not the most effective reliever in the entire league so yeah and you don't have to sit him for three days after like like if you remember like 2018 Mm -hmm. and whatnot when he was doing that like he'd have those kind of big workloads and then it's like he's unavailable to pitch for the next two days yep you know like like it's not just so he can go back again the next night and go two or three days in a row potentially if need be you 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 can do that now you couldn't do that back then yeah. So you had to make do without your best pitcher all the time. Yeah. It's easy to forget how things used to be. And sure, he was good back then when they did that. That's fine. But he also wasn't a closer. He also 
has gotten better since then because of how they've managed him. So yeah. don't broke what ain't fix or don't fix what ain't broke. Wah. Uh, wow. It's early. It's early. <laughs> yeah. Don't broke what ain't fixed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if it ain't broke, don't fix it. That's why. That's why there I, it is. I messed it up. Took us three tries, but we got there. It is early. Today, it so. is early. It is not even 10 o'clock yet on a Thursday morning. Yeah. You got the, what, the brisk iced tea there yep. instead of the beer. I got a glass of milk in honor of Lorenzo Cain. I need some milk. <laughs> Oh, I miss uh, him so much. Lorenzo Kane, that uh, play at the wall by yes, uh, Jonathan Davis. I as for if uh, some of you may remember from last week, uh, talking about Marvel characters, I had assigned Ant Man to Jonathan Davis because of his height, um, and I also was at the game with a few friends yesterday and had mentioned was talking about Jonathan Davis and, you know, how he's, you know, he's 30 year old journeyman, um, very, very good defensively did well in AAA. you know, it's been okay since he's come up. Um, I stand, I said, but I worry about what might happen if he had to make a jumping play at the wall, considering how short he is. Mm, and then how in the beginning comes that play at the top of the wall, literally off the yellow and he was, oh, he was so close to it. But I feel like, I feel like Lorenzo Cain makes that robbery. We've seen him make it time and time again. Again, not taking anything away from Jonathan Davis because he's very, very good defender. Um, but you know, the, they both got a couple, you know, different measurements. So you know, maybe that it, Justin Cain's case is the play that he ends up making. By the way, my God, did the uh, Cubs fans in the stadium very much think that was a home run. I uh, mean, replay after replay after replay, and each replay that they showed in the stadium kept getting more obvious that it wasn't a home run. Um, but they kept doing the, you know, circle the fingers in the air, called a home run, guys. And then finally, they have the just ultimate zoomed in version of the replay where it's so so glaringly obvious that it hit the yellow and everyone finally shuts up. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, if that, I mean, if, if Kane's back there, is that a robbery? Do the Brewers still have the lead? But then if Kane's at the plates, like do did things go differently earlier in the game? Like it's, it's I hard mean, to say. One of those what things- does Jonathan Davis bring to the plate that Lorenzo Kane didn't? Currently nothing. He started off at least yeah. hitting hits every once in a while, but uh, no, he's, doing about as well as Kane did. The problem is that's all we got when you got uh, Tyrone Taylor and Hunter Renfro on the IL, like they're literally working with three outfielders. They're actually basically, no, yeah, working with three outfielders, but with McCutcheon, McCutcheon didn't play yesterday and Yelich uh, has been at DH for a couple games now, which is why you saw Hira in left field who made an amazing play that I did not. Yeah. Today. Um, you're good finding yourself a little tight in the old outfield position. Um, hopefully- if only Corey Ray didn't suck. Uh, yeah. Like this would be the perfect time for Corey Ray. Absolutely. But uh, he's a, uh, he couldn't even hit down in triple a and yeah. really his center field defense from what I've heard also hasn't been super great. Um, but anyways, it'd be nice if uh, Garrett Mitchell were healthy. Mm-hmm. down in double a um but he's missed a good chunk of the season i think with an oblique issue uh, i think that's what the injury was he still is not back yet sal freelich is back in the lineup in double a but just got back he is not ready yet either so they're kind of operating without a, a true center fielder at this point and with the trade deadline about four weeks away i'd have to imagine uh, that may change some point soon. Center field has clearly become the biggest area of need for this team heading into the trade deadline. I mean, the, they just are not getting much offense from it. I mean, when, when, when Taylor's back, like it'll be a little bit better, but even with what Taylor was producing before, it's nothing that they couldn't upgrade from. You know, right. like like, they, like there are ways that they can upgrade at that position, even with Taylor uh, in there, even with everyone fully healthy. So 
if they're going to be looking anywhere, you know, you could look first base slash DH. You know, you got guys like Josh Bell or, or Trey Mancini that, that are out there or, or CJ Crone or guys like that. But center field has got to be the biggest area of need this July. Yeah. No, oh, 100%, 200% agree. Like that is just, it's a position that you have to be able to get offense out of. Um, they put up, uh, MLB.com put up a, um biggest trade need at the deadline for every team and obviously center field was what showed up for um the brewers i was surprised to see that um do i still have this one pulled up no i don't um i think it was like five five eighty five or five sixty five is the ops that uh, the brewers have gotten from center field which is horrible i was surprised to find out that that's somehow not worst in the league it was only like I mean, it's 27th, but like that awfully sad that three teams actually have a worse OPS than that. Okay. But are those three teams contenders? Oh, I'm sure they're not. Yeah. I'm pretty sure Oakland is one of them. Likely, which is surprising because um, the trade candidates, because each team was given a like best fit trade candidate to fix that. And the Brewers was Ramon Laureano from the A's. Now, I think he missed a chunk of the season, though, with an injury. Yes, and he also has actually played more right field than center field. Yeah, because they they got Christian Pache out there. Right. Um, And And, I think he just got demoted because he sucks offensively. Exactly. He's been a pretty light hitter ever since he's been – was called up first from the Braves before being traded there. But uh, uh, Loriano's only started 15 games, played 18 games in center uh, this year. So a lot of his offense doesn't necessarily translate to their terrible center field OPS. Um, but Loriano, you know, 748 OPS, not terrible, um, but definitely better than what they're getting out yep. of center. 246 uh, batting average and a great defender with an absolute cannon of an arm. One that's like honestly would be pretty close to rivaling Hunter Renfro's. It's that good. Yeah. So, um, you would, you which would can make not, up for the poor arm in left field. Exactly. So you would not lose a whole lot defensively um, by by bringing in Loriano for a trade. And you know the A's love making trades. They're always rebuilding basically every single season. <laughs> so um, you can definitely get something done with them. Um, I, I I definitely think that's one that we could watch out for. And he's. 27, 28 years old right now. So a young guy, um, yeah. he, he just becomes arbitration eligible for the first time next year. So this would potentially fall under the young controllable talent uh, situation that Stearns loves too. Yeah, that'd be a, an interesting situation. I wonder how much he would cost because he is so controllable, but um, you know, if they don't really kind of view him as, as that big of a long-term piece, you know, I mean, the Brewers got John Curtis last year, and he was controllable for four years. Now, granted, they did uh, release him uh, after just half mm-hmm. a season, but still, um, it, he didn't really cost that much uh, to get at that price. I'm not sure if that's something that Oakland would be willing to do would, would be willing to do with Loriano, but um, they like it's Loriano would not cost like, you know, top, top prospects. He would not cost Jackson Churio. He would not cost Joey Weimer, you know, any, anything like that. He's not putting up superstar level production, Mm -hmm. uh, but he's producing, he would improve the defense and center field dramatically. Uh, He would improve the offense a bunch and overall be a good guy to have on the, on the team. It's just kind of a matter of getting the, the deal done. And, you know, they're at the point now, I mean, they're laying uh, foundation talks, just kind of laying the groundwork uh, for trades happening later on. But I would love Loriano mm-hmm. if they could get him. I love his arm. I love his defense. And his bat is, is solid. It's not, it's not all-star level bat, but it's solid. Yeah. Yeah. And I, let me correct that actually real quick. Um, his first, year of arbitration was this year. So I don't know why it says arbitration eligible 23 on the page, but he has two more years left and then free agent in 2025. He's making 2.45 million this year. And it's offensive production. Yeah. It sounds acceptable. Reasonable. Very reasonable. And his offensive production 
hasn't necessarily changed a whole lot from last year. So I don't imagine he gets a huge raise off of that. So, you know, that if that's what you're looking for to have maybe a two-ish year bridge before some of the young guys come up, not a terrible idea. Uh, On-base percentage, excuse me, of 341 this season. So, you know, that's better than Jace Peterson's. Yeah, on base, Jace Peterson's. Is he on base, Jace, though? Um, Bases loaded, big situation, grounds into a double play. Yeah. Yeah, that moniker has kind of worn out a little bit for Jace. I I know we kind of have both talked about this a little bit. Um, We know the team loves him, and uh, it would have to get to ultimately bad levels for them to – part ways with him um but i don't know they get at full strength with hitters again could i see it you end up losing a little bit of depth um at some of those infield positions if you move on from jace but keston hira it is such a weird situation with him because he does so well against right-handed hitters if you can just finally get counsel to break away from that just give up on the whole lefty thing, just forget about it. Like it's not happening. He's just not magically figuring out lefties at some point uh, within this year. Like just ride that right-handedness. You've now got Pedro Severino on uh, the team to handle lefties a little bit. You don't need to put Kesson in the lineup anymore in that situation. But if he keeps hitting against righties, like it's, it's so weird. Like I know he, there's a chance he ends up being an odd man out situation once uh, Renfro and Taylor come back because one of them sends Davis back down, but the other one, who do you end up moving on from? Like, I get there's kind of a log jam now that you have Severino and Hira on the team, but he's so good against righties. Um, it's just such a weird situation with him right now. Yeah. I and I don't know what they do. Yeah. And I mean, the right handed hitting, facing, right-handed pitching, platoon option isn't really a common one right. in Major League Baseball. So that makes it a bit tough for, for counsel. It's like, look, am I really going to have this, this right-handed hitter only play against righties um, and just put him on the DH at those days? Because, you know, Rowdy is supposed to face righties. Mm-hmm. Um, but also Rowdy has pretty even splits, so Rowdy should face some more lefties as well. So, mm-hmm. I mean, that's put that out there as well. But, I mean, that's why you got the DH spot now. And, uh, you know, they're trying to get him some experience out there in the left field. And, like, you can find ways to get him those at-bats against right-handed pitchers. Mm-hmm. And they should because, you know, he's he continues to hit well against them. And if he can just do that, maybe that will help build some confidence, you know, confidence at the plate in general. Uh, perhaps I can spill over to when he does face lefties, have some more confidence, just kind of get on a roll, feeling good. Um, you know, that, that's something that could benefit everyone, just having him play well against the guys he plays well against. So the tough part, though, is figuring out what his future is, is going to be because, you know, that may work in, in the short term. But long term, that's that's not really a job that's going to be available for right. him or for anyone, really. So, what do they do? I, I know uh, Jack Stern on Twitter. Uh, he's you know I was saying, hey, we need to get here more abs against against righties, and Jack's like, they should actually be thinking about selling high on him while they can, or selling as high as they can on him because, like, even though he may his value may be peaking or, or getting higher as we go through july here it's still much lower than what it was in like 2019 you know his value is far diminished so they could sell high but in order to do that he needs to be playing well hmm. you can't sell high if he's not playing well so if he's going to play well you should play him more against righties so that he can get those hits and, and show that he is playing well and give other teams confidence. Hey, yeah, we should trade for him and value him highly. Right. Yeah, exactly. So that's just like you said, that's an argument to keep him around a little bit longer. So 
I guess the question then is, you know, what helps the team win more? If we're just looking at this season, what helps the team win more? Kesson Hira and his bad against righties, but his, you know, lack of defense or Jace Peterson and his bat against no one, but his very good defense at a lot of different positions. Um, I don't know. I mean, you're walking, I guess you're walking a little bit of a thin line at that point, but um, that's the weird like end of the roster decision that they're going to have to make once uh, these two came, come back. Uh, Tyron Taylor, I think won't probably won't be out that much longer. I think they just knew he was going to be out a couple extra games after getting bopped in the head with a ball. Um, And that hurt. Yeah. And (laughs) with a concussion, you can opt for a seven day IL. They could just put him on there, get the extra roster spot and then, you know, bring him right back. So he's reaching those seven days. He should be back soon. Uh, Renfro was out on the field running. It sounds like a couple days ago. So um, hopefully he's close to rehab start if he needs it or just activation. Um, but he's at the very least moving after his, uh, I believe it was calf muscle for him. had yep, kind of calf strain. Dressing. Um, so you get those two guys back again, like uh, Jonathan Davis goes down for one and who ends up going down for another one. They could opt to send a pitcher down considering they have a whole lot of off games between now and then the uh, all-star break. And then once they come back, uh, make a deal to kind of rebalance out the pitchers versus hitters. Um, but yeah, it's, it just, I feel like it's going to be either Keston or Jace and maybe it's just for nostalgic reasons. I'd love him to keep Keston around and see if they can actually figure something out. Um, but if he helps you offensively, he helps you offensively more than Jace helps you offensively. And the Brewers problem is offense. So I would sacrifice a little bit of the defense especially if you're going to end up in a lot of those situations playing here at, at DH anyway um, and keep him around over Jace. But again, we talked about it. We know the front office loves Jace. So yeah, I, I just have a tough time seeing the front office actually parting with Jace yep. mid season as much as I may want it, but I'm with the versatility that he brings, you know, being able to play any position. I mean, he's been filling in in right field a lot lately. Yeah, uh, can fill in at third base, can fill in anywhere in the infield, third, first, second. I suppose some short if you really needed him to, but you got to Urias for that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, he could fill in anywhere that they needed to, and I think with that, they're willing to accept a little bit lower offense from him. But I mean, as I mean, we kind of talked about this in our writer group chat. Jace is not meant to be an everyday player. No, you know he he was signed to be a bench guy. Uh, utility guy filling in part-time role, but because of injuries, he's essentially had to be a full-time player. He, he's been in the starting lineup just about every single day because they've needed him to be uh, either with Urias being hurt or Renfro being hurt or Wong being hurt or someone's been hurt. And that has, you know, pushed either Urias around someone else. And then Peterson has to take Urias' spot and, they, they just kind of find ways that, that they have to get him in there. So if they can get him back to a bench role, then I think he'll be, he'll be fine. But being there in the everyday role, it's just, it, it's not something that, you know, he should be in. And then, I mean, with Hira, as you're mentioning there, I mean, I think it just kind of goes back to, you know, what we've talked about previously, both on this podcast and uh, the article I wrote a while ago on what the Brewers should do with him. You know, should they keep him? Should they just put him in the starting lineup every single day? Or, or should they just trade him? Does, does he need a change of scenery? Should they move on? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I think the Brewers are still going to be struggling with, do we want to give up punt and, and just kind of send Kesson here elsewhere when we know his talent is in there, that everyday hitter, 300 hitter talent is in there. And we don't want someone else to unlock it. You know, if anyone's going to a lock, it should be us. You know, we did the scouting. We drafted him. We developed him. We want him to do it as a brewer. And if you send him someplace else and he does that, then you sold a very, very valuable asset for pennies on the dollar. You did not get enough value back, no matter what you trade him for. And you're just kind of going to be at a loss. And I don't think the brewers want to be there. I think it, 
if they're going to give up on him, they want to make absolutely sure that that talent is, is simply not there, that, that they just cannot unlock it. Yeah. And again, like we, we see glimpses of it. Like it's not totally gone. Um, like it's there, but like, how, how do they unlock it? Like the Brewers have struggled with this for years for, for the longest time, they struggled with pitching development. They, they could always get hitters, but, and they struggle with pitchers. Now they got pitchers essentially locked down and they struggle with hitting development. Like that's yeah. really kind of been, been the big thing the last couple of years. The reason that the farm system has been rated so poorly over the last few years is because their hitting prospects have not developed. You know, Trent Grisham took forever to develop. Um, mm-hmm. And he only finally did once he stopped doing what they told him to do. You know, they tried to get him to change his, his grip on the bat and it didn't work. He finally went back to his old grip and all of a sudden he was good again. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Jake Gatewood n- never really turned out. He was a high risk guy to begin with. Monty Harrison, another high risk guy to begin with. They didn't really work out. Corey Ray, he supposedly had this great power speed combination, pretty solid hitter. Like, you know, all they had to do is just kind of manage the hit tool enough uh, for, for him to, to be a really successful player. His hit tool cratered. Um, mm-hmm. Keston Hira, you know, he was, he was such a dynamic and gifted hitter all throughout college, all throughout the minor leagues. And then now all of a sudden he, he, he's lost. You know, 2018, Bryce Terang. I mean, Terang has been telling, you know, in recent years, they, they've been a little bit better. Terang has been good. Um, but Joe Gray Jr. has struggled, you know, mm-hmm. except for that half season in Carolina. Micah Bello, you know, he's he did pretty well to start the year in Carolina, but he's struggled since his promotion to high A. Uh, Garrett Mitchell, I mean, that's kind of more been health um but like you know recently like some of those prospects have been a little bit better but like going back like historically their hitting prospects have not really worked out remember victor roach and clint coulter in in the first round in 2012 how do those guys work i saw them in independent ball with the milkman last year well not with the milkman on one of the teams that they were playing but still like they're in that league and they were first round picks yeah it 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 is weird that they just consistently have not been able to figure out this hitting thing with the minor leaguers, which is why you don't end up seeing a whole lot of homegrown guys um, coming up for the Brewers right now, uh, as opposed to back in the day when, you know, we had the pleasure of seeing Prince Fielder and Ryan Braun and Ricky Weeks and Corey Hart, Jonathan Lucroy and all these guy after guy, after guy, after guy. And now it's just nothing. We have to bring these guys in uh, externally. Um, But with, with here again, like it's, He's got a 341 on base percentage. That's not terrible. He's fourth on the team in OPS right now for a little yeah. bit third. And then he dipped back below Rowdy Telez after the end of the game, actually. So he's sitting at 796. He was at he was at 802 just right after that home run. He was at 802. So he was but he doesn't eight- play every day. Yes. Right. Like- he doesn't. He's got one of the lower uh uh plate appearances on the team. The other two guys who were up there in OPS. For the team or Brasso and Caratini who also don't play every day. So, I mean, you're, this is who you're comparing to, but he, when this is also considering the fact that you're factoring in his terrible numbers against lefties that they've forced fed him. And he's still got a 796 OPS for the year. But he's also got a 45% strikeout rate. That is just, Oof. you can't have that. No, you can't you have a 35% strikeout rate and be happy with it, let alone a 45 uh, that's, that's God awful. Now, I, I guess I don't have that as lefty versus righty. I'm pretty sure it, it is still high versus righties. I don't know if it's at least better, um, until I'm able to pull up some splits here, but it's either likely way, still at least 30% or higher. I would guess. I would, I would definitely guess because the, the man just does strike out a whole lot, but you see, you see those glimpses again with him. Like he hasn't completely hitters. Don't just forget how to hit they might get really bad at it for a while and struggle and have you know certain things going on mentally but like it's still inside there somewhere and so like you know like you were getting at like that's that's the internal struggle of the brewers front office is do you give up on talent that you know is there that just needs to be unlocked somehow or do you move on and bring you know add a piece to the roster that even has a 
more surefire chance of helping you now and possibly in the future. And that's why they get, that's why Stearns gets paid to make those big decisions. Yeah. I mean, they've, they've done really kind of as, as much as they can. I mean, personnel wise, I mean, they, they changed the hitting coaches and, you know, Andy Haynes is gone. They brought in Ozzie Timmons and Connor Dawson and, and they brought up um, uh, Matt Erickson. Mm-hmm. Um, so like they've, they've got three hitting coaches in there. One of them hopefully should be able to find the keys or find the right key to, to unlock it. Um, I, I know he made some mechanical tweaks uh, this year, you know, cutting down on that huge leg kick that he had and, you know, trying to be on time a little bit more, but there's still a hole there. You know, there, there's a hole in the swing at the top of the zone that hit the pitchers just keep on exploiting. And I don't know how, like if this has always been there, I don't know how no pitcher at any other level was able to exploit that. Like how weren't college pitchers able to just throw it at the top of the zone and get them out? How weren't minor league pitchers able to throw it at the top of the zone and strike them out? Like Mm -hmm. how did it take after a year of big league success for pitchers to finally figure it out, figure out, Hey, let's throw a top of the zone above his hands and he's not going to be able to reach it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know. Um, I do still hold out hope for um, some of these new hitting coaches to kind of be able to figure things out. Cause if you look at the Brewers offense, um, they are after yesterday, even still 10th in the league in terms of runs scored per game. They're at four and a half little shade over four and a half runs per game. So they have the 10th best offense in terms of run production like that. I feel like if I were to tell that to most people on Brewers social media, they would just call me a liar, but sorry, numbers are straight out in front of me, 10th best offense. Um, So I feel like some things are going right. It's just these players are so, it's not just Hira, these players are so inconsistent on offense. Like, it, they'll go through a big stretch, but then they'll go through a, you know, a drought of offense for a few games. And it's, uh, I, I don't watch all, you know, 30 or 29 other teams every single game or anything like that, but I, gosh, it just feels like the Brewers have more volatility in their offense. Like they have more games where they're scoring above or below their average as opposed to close to it. Um, and if that can just get reined in and they can become more consistent, um, may, you know, maybe you start to see them stop underachieving. But again, remember these, uh, these hitting coaches have only been in place for half a season now uh, since we moved on from Andy Haynes. And the offense is better with largely the same core group from last year. You add Renfro, you add McCutcheon, but a lot of it's the same. And so, and these guys were not able to to work with the hitters during the offseason because of the correct. lockout. I mean, they got hired, you know, moves were made, but like these guys were not able to talk to them, uh, talk to their players. That they only had showing up at spring training. Hey, I'm the new hitting coach. Like, let's talk some hitting. You know, like like that's that's all they had, and there was only so much they could really do in spring training because you're still trying to get to know know those guys you can't just walk in day one be like hey i'd like to make this change with your swing like it's not going to work that way so they need some time to actually like get to know them and they were not able to do that over the off season and hit the ground running in spring training uh and then going into the regular season i mean we still saw early early in the regular season they were still just kind of trying to get to know everybody know everyone's swings and things like that so you, like, yeah, they need some time. Like, th- this is not on Ozzie Timmons or Connor Dawson. It's not an overnight thing when it comes to hitting and, and fix and fixing hitting problems. It doesn't happen overnight. It, it takes time. So, yeah, they're they're doing what they can, and the offense has been improved overall. So, you know, it can't complain. Plus, Ozzie does bring some fun. I mean, remember when he had the uh, the wig, the curly-haired wig? Yes. To, yep. to get the win streak going. Yep. Uh, it, yet another example of the Brewers just having that, you know, fun factor in the dugout, considering you got the bell, you got the Thanos gauntlet. That was fun uh, getting to explain to my Cubs fan friends yesterday at the game, by the way. Um, but uh, you're friends yeah. with them. I oh. mean, 
I, I found out after I was friends with them, which, by the way, made the, yesterday's game that much better. Uh, sarcasm intended, <laughs> obviously. But uh, yeah, no, it's just more fun things that they do in that dugout, which is which is why this team never gets down for too long, it seems. They always seem to snap out of it um, instead of going into a tailspin that lasts like a month, month and a half or something like that and takes them out of contention. Still in first place, guys, and that's because they're able to right the ship uh, quickly, generally. Yeah, I, I had a dude tell me on, on Twitter, he was, I was just like, you know, like after the Cubs scored, or like took the lead or something, I just tweeted, I was like, oh, well, this stinks. And he's like, oh, well, so do the Brewers. And he's actually a Brewers fan. Like, he wasn't just like a Cubs fan trolling. And I just kind of tweeted back a picture of the standings of the Brewers being in first place by three games. And I'm like, bruh, <laughs> you sure about that? Yeah. Yeah. Don't confuse the Brewers underachieving with the Brewers being bad. The Brewers are a good team. They're a talented team. They have the setup that can be successful. They just need to have that consistency a little bit more. They need to have consistency with health too. Again, like they're better. They're in a better spot health wise, but just don't forget. They are still missing key players that they were expecting to be able to lean on like Peralta, like Renfro, um, that like Hauser right now that just are not there. And they've gone through these stretches where they end up missing players like Woodruff, um, like Adamas, like Urias. Um, remember, he, like he didn't just have that thumb injury. He missed the first, you know, few weeks of the season. Um, it's hard to be a consistent team when you don't consistently have your expected lineup in the game. And so you, you can't make complete excuses for that. Obviously, they still need to perform. Um, but it does at least explain a little bit of the inconsistency in this team. And that is, if I were to describe this team in one way, it is inconsistent because we, we see the potential and it comes out plenty. Um, but they just haven't sustained it very often uh, during the season. And injuries are, whether you want to blame them or not, they are a big part of why. And so you keep, you keep looking forward to, Oh, and this team gets healthy again. And you know what, we've got an all-star break coming up. That's really going to help in that sense. Um, but once they get to that point, you just, you wonder whether they can really get on a big roll and then finally stretch that uh, NL central lead out, but um, they're treading water. They're there. They're still first place. Um, it is not time to abandon ship yet. No, it certainly is not. And I, I th- are we still at only four games played with everyone in this lineup healthy? All the starters, Renfro, Wong, Urias, Adamas, Narvaez. Out for a while. So I think the last time we talked about it was while Renfro was hurt again. So I don't think it's gotten any higher than that. Yeah, like they, they haven't really had too many games at all with all of their starters healthy and, and in the lineup. So... Once we get that to happen, if we get that to happen, knock on wood, yeah. then maybe we can make more of a judgment on this offense. You know, once Renfro gets back, once Taylor gets back, and hopefully no one else goes back on the aisle in their place. Because every time it seems like one guy's about to come yes. off, someone else goes on. It yep. happens every single time. Oh, Colton Wong's finally ready to come back. He's healthy, ready to go. Oh, here goes Hunter Renfro. Yep. Like Woodruff comes back, Hauser's out. Yeah. It it just always seems to seems to happen like that. So I don't know. Hopefully that hopefully their luck can change on that front. They need a rabbit's foot or something uh, in that trainer's room. <laughs> just yes. just find a way to to get everyone healthy. Uh, that's that's really the important thing. It, it, like it, it it's hard to make a judgment on this team on this offense without everyone being healthy. Because everyone's like, oh, the Brewers pitching staff has taken a step back. Well, the Brewers pitching staff has been hurt. You know, it's like, oh, the rotation has been super great. Well, Peralta has been hurt. Woodruff has been hurt. Hauser has been hurt. You know, like when all these guys go on the IL and and are dealing with injuries, it makes it a little tough. I mean, yeah, Lauer was dealing with uh, home run issues. Mm -hmm. um, But, you know, overall, when all these guys get hurt, what are you going to do? Right. 
Like, yeah, like I mean, you can have depth lined up. You can have guys like Aaron Ashby and, and Ethan Small, but you don't plan on three, four guys in your rotation heading out to the to the IL. You can have bodies to fill, and you can have guys like Jason Alexander, but they're not going to be anywhere near as good because if they were, they wouldn't be the seventh, eighth guy on the depth chart. Exactly. That's I, I've said this before. Like it, You're not the Dodgers. You're not the Yankees. You can't just put all your backups in and have them also be high-paid guys who are going to basically not skip a beat when you switch to them. Like any team, if you're relying on, you know, half backups in your lineup, you're going to suffer. And the same is true of the Brewers, obviously. So um, I I don't know, I don't know what more you can expect. So you got to have your main guys to be able to roll with and we're getting close, but it'll be really nice to see what it's like when they're all in there. um, And you know, what this team can do when they're at full power, but um, no, just got to get there. Just got to get there. It's a, it's a long winding road. That's right. Um, we just hit the halfway point on Sunday. So exactly. Plenty of time. Yeah. Plenty of time. Uh, Matt, one, one kind of final thing here before we sign off, have you ever gone into the C league experience at Miller park? The, the what now? The C league experience. The Bud Sealy oh, experience on the second yeah. deck there. No, I have not. Also, what's Miller Park? At American Family Field. <laughs> you no, know exact. Not. You know damn well what Miller Park is. Yeah, I sure do. Um, but yeah, no, it's on the uh, on the second deck there in the uh, left field corner. I had not gone into it either until Monday. Uh, when I went, my dad and I were at the game. We got there early, so it's like, hey, you want to? Going the Seal experience, I'm like, sure, why not? I've never been in there, never seen it. It's a nice, like, little uh, movie theater thing, and they just kind of play a little uh, movie about, you know, Bud Seelig and, you know, his whole story. And first of all, if you haven't been in there, it is fantastic. Um, mm-hmm. I highly, highly recommend. I don't know about you, man, but like, I was on, like, I was like tearing up. <laughs> like as as we got through the end of it, and it's just, I mean, with what Seelig did to to bring a team to Milwaukee, and just his whole story, man, it's it's fantastic. And like I hear all the time from people like hating on Bud Seelig, mostly about his tenure as commissioner. Um, but I will always love Bud Seelig for what he did, you know, as as Brewers owner and, and bringing the team here and. Like I, I walked out of that and, you know, they, they had a little like uh, there was like a hologram thing of like Bud Se- like at the end, there was like a hologram thing of like Bud Seelig, like talking, like saying something. I'm just like for a second there, like it, it looked pretty realistic. I was like, wait a minute, is Bud Seelig actually there? No, he, w- he was not. But um, but it was cool. And, you know, you walk out of that and it's just like, damn it, we got to win World Series for Bud, yeah. you know? He deserves to see the Brewers win a World Series. That that's what I walked out of there thinking. Yeah, yeah. And we need to win one for Bud and win one for Bob. We need to win it for Uke. That's right. Those oh. two guys deserve a Brewers World Series victory more than anybody on this planet. Yeah, we're getting close to the end of the line with Uker and him. You know, and Seelig. Uh, radio guy for the Brewers. Obviously, he'll you know we'll still have some time after that to get it done for him. But we, it needs to be done while he's a, a part of this team. I need to hear a Bob Euchre call yes. of a Brewers. Let's, okay, let, let's face it here. Let, let's be honest. Let's say even if Euchre does retire um, before this happens, if the Brewers make it to a World Series, you know damn well he's coming back. back. He is back walking in straight up into that booth. He's walking through doors like I'm. I'm Bob Euchre. Let me yeah. through. I'm yeah. coming through. Jeff Levering, step aside. I'm coming in. Like, yep. straight up, Bob is calling that game, and no matter what. And you let it go. Yep. It's like, okay, yep, you you do your thing, Bob. This is yep. this is your time. Yeah, totally agree. We got to and, – and, yes, and agree with, uh, with Bud Selig as well. But for everything that he did to get this team in Milwaukee – that we love to go and watch and that has been built to, you know, a regular contender for the first time in all of our lives. We got to finish the job. 
Yep. Got to do it for Bud. Got to do it for Uke. Yep. We got it. Exactly. All right. That'll do it for us this week on the Cobra Podcast. Very uplifting note yeah. here on the Cobra Pod. Always positive. Always positive. Matt, you have a movie date uh, to go on. So Ooh. enjoy your, was it, is it Thor? Thor. Yeah. Thor. We're on the Marvel theme last week on the pod, and now That's Matt true. is watching Thor. It's true. Got you thinking. Got you thinking about it. Yep. I got I got to hit the road. <laughs> All right. That'll do it for us this week. We'll see you next time for another episode of the Cold Brew Podcast. Bye.